Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. I am so thrilled to announce my Live Inspired in studio with John O'Leary. If you like the Live Inspired podcast, you will love joining me and our community in studio. I created in studio a monthly live virtual experience as a place to share inspiration, ideas, tools, and time to have a discussion on topics that matter most to you. Yes, you. I've never offered anything like this before, and registration is open for a limited time, so don't delay. Learn more and register now, that's right now, at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash in studio. That's johnolearyinspires.com forward slash in studio, or if it's easier for you, go to johnolearyinspires.com and then check out the rest. We'll lead you to the landing page. We will lead you into the in studio, and it will launch you into the best of your life going forward. I can't wait to see you live in studio, my friends. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, and their life. Yes, you, you, my friends, will hear profound and unforgettably inspiring stories. But more importantly, you're going to take away real ideas to apply in your life. So my goal is to have guests on this show that will inspire you to choose to wake up from accidental living so that you can live inspired. On today's episode, I have the honor of introducing a woman who is a friend and who chose to leave a successful 25-year career as a Hollywood agent to pursue a life that she was actually passionate about. She's a remarkable thinker, phenomenal writer. She's got her own amazing podcast. She's a great lady. My friends, let's welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary, our guest today, Christine Hassler. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, John. Oh, gosh. It's awesome to be on your show. I was honored to be a part of your podcast not that long ago. And Christine, for those who may not yet know about you, your work, your life, give the folks tuning in today a little bit of your background. What are you up to today? Sure. Oh, my gosh. What I'm up to today is is living an inspired life instead of an accidental one. I love that (laughs) distinction. Um, And and really living a life based on love rather than fear. And I think that that I lived based on fear. Fear was my main driver. Fear that came from insecurity, that came from feeling rejected, that came from feeling disconnected from a higher power, that came from things that happened in my childhood. And and I think that's a very human condition. We're just the fear of not being enough, not being perfect, not being deserving. Just these basic kind of limiting beliefs that at some point a lot of us just really, really buy into. And, you know, for me, I... And like everyone else, I was born knowing I was whole and complete and connected to higher power and and didn't have insecurity and was super creative and self-expressive. And and then things happened. And uh, one of the main things that happened for me in in my childhood was getting teased and bullied. Hmm. And so I felt a huge sense of of separation. and, And when something like that happens, we form a set of belief systems 
about ourselves and about others. And so the belief system I formed about myself is I'm not likable. I'm not likable. I don't belong. And then I had a bunch of health problems. I was a super late bloomer. I was diagnosed with depression when I was 10 and put on medication. So then I also formed the belief system that there's something wrong with me. I'm broken. I'm mentally ill. You know, I'm different. And so to compensate for that, because we all have to have, you know, I write about this in Expectation Hangover, uh, some way to feel better when we feel bad, I had the compensatory strategy of becoming an extreme overachiever. Yes. And I was like, okay, well, people don't like me, and I don't fit in, and I'm broken. Well, my brain works, and I'm just going to become a straight A student, and I'm going to, you know, be somebody and prove to the world that, you know, I I matter. <laughs> and that was really effective, John. Like it was, I was covered really up successful. the scars, right? Yeah. And for the, you know, we're, we're doing a podcast, so most people are not tuning in to you today. You're this vibrant, articulate brilliant, beautiful lady. And I think most of us will be surprised in hearing that, that yeah, at the age of 10 and years before you were bullied, you were depressed, you were down, you felt totally broken. T- take us back to, uh, to, to maybe w- what you think the underlying cause was. What, what, what was it about you as a little one before you started overcompensating that led people to bully you and allowed them to bully you? Well, you know, I've thought a lot about that. Um, and, you know, my parents would say, oh, they're just jealous. Yeah. And that, that could be part of it. Um, I also, I, I, you know, some things I think are just part of our soul's curriculum. And I think that it was a very humbling experience, which was really good for me. Not that I was particularly arrogant, but I, I think that the level of compassion I have right now and the journey that it set me on to self-love and self-acceptance and reconnecting with, with myself, with God, with all of these things that are so important to me now, it, it just was so part of what I needed to learn. Because I, I believe as humans, we learn through contrast. Mm-hmm. And we have to know one polarity to get to the other side. You know, that's we're diamonds that are consistently being sharpened. There's no, there's no there, you know, there's yes. no time. <clears throat> totally right. It's just like, we're totally like awake and conscious. It's just our awareness of the truth grows and grows and grows. And the extremes of the contrast um, get farther apart in terms of when we experience them and we suffer, the amount we suffer gets shorter and shorter in duration because we gain more tools and we heal more and we gain more consciousness. You know, so I could, I could speculate. I could say it was about jealousy. I could say it was because, you know, I was younger for my grade. I was smaller. I was um, kind of sweet and naive. I, you know, who, who really knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but... I'm grateful. I'm super, super grateful for, for that and the things that have continued to happen in my 20s and 30s. And, and just, it was funny when you said I had a 25-year career in Hollywood. I, I'm, not, I'm not quite that old yet. I, le- I worked until I was 25 years old That's what it was. Okay. <laughs> so when I, I read that about you in, in a bio somewhere, and I'm like, gosh, she's just, she's so youthful. She's the <laughs> out of the sun. <laughs> the surgeons out there in Hollywood are just genius. I'm, I'm moving tomorrow. Well, that is true. That is true. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I think that a lot of us kind of get stuck in the why. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? And, you know, when I work with people and coach people, it's it's useful. You know, I'm a spiritual psychologist and a life coach, and it's, it's useful to look at our past so we can heal it. But sometimes we get stuck in the analysis. And I think the question that gives us more leverage and helps us create more of an inspirational life is to ask, what am I learning? Instead of, why did this happen? You know, mm-hmm. what did I learn from this? I'm not a victim. 
you know, we have to process our feelings around it. I had to process my feelings around feeling sad and hurt and all the things that happened to me then and happened, continued to happen, but not indulge in them and not mm. identify with them and really look at, all right, like I'm going to be a seeker, I'm going to be a student of my life and really see how this happened for me, not to me. Mm. So let's let's go back now to you being an overachiever, overcompensating in some regards with straight A's and raising your hand first and uh, <laughs> being a perfectionist in so many ways. Where, where, where did that take you through during school years and, and, uh, and beyond, Christine? Oh, it took me to being the top of the class, getting so much validation for how smart I was, being told, oh, you're going to be so successful, having boys be nice to me so they could cheat off my paper. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and it just led me to be a really strong high driver I went to. You know, a really, I went into college already as a sophomore because I had so many AP classes, and that gave me my sense of worth, mm-hmm. you know, and that gave me my sense of, um, you know, my, that was my identity, was being smart and being an achiever. And the problem with that was, like, enough was never enough. You know, I'd, I'd achieve one thing, graduated from college at the top of my class with two majors, and it was like I celebrated for five seconds, and then it was, okay, what's next? Like, what's my next achievement? Yes. And then... Hollywood's a great place to go if you're desperately insecure and want to prove yourself. <laughs> it's like the training ground. You know, it's like it attracts insecure people with something to prove. And <clears throat> so I moved out there at the age of 20 and worked my way up super fast, skipped being in the mailroom at the agency, got on a desk right away, and just was um, – I was really bad, John, at having fun. Mm. Really bad at having fun and really bad at taking risks. So I was – control, achievement, plan, good girl. And I think that I did that because I thought that that would keep me safe. Mm-hmm. And safe from heartbreak, safe from, you know, just, and honestly, I think safe from feeling the feelings that I repressed for so many years. And as long as I was doing, and as long as I was in my head, then I didn't have to feel my gut feelings, what was in my heart, all the things that I hadn't necessarily processed or dealt with or looked at that were driving me. But that's the distinction between drive and push and inspiration and pull. So I didn't feel inspired. And without feeling inspired, enough never felt like enough. I'm curious, Christine, you're, you you are a student of life, and you're certainly a student of your own story at this point. Looking back on it, though, as a 20-year-old, not in the mailroom, but at the desk, and as a 25-year-old succeeding wildly out there, yeah, uh, you now know part of it was that you're trying to overcompensate. But back then, what were you telling yourself is driving you? I think it was just wanting to – I had a dream of um, being Sherry Lansing. Sherry Lansing went to Northwestern. She ran Paramount Studios. She was like this really amazing female producer. She was still super feminine. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, my goals were really what, was, what I thought was driving me. And it, it's easy to compare to. So looking to other people and um, thinking I could be like them. But I really was chasing a feeling more than I was even a result. I just wanted mm-hmm. to feel like... Oh, like I did it. I just wanted to feel like I mattered. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to belong to something. I wanted to feel important. I wanted to feel like I had, you know, um, people that liked me. So it was more chasing that feeling that I didn't, you know, feel for so many years, thinking that something external was going to do it for me. 
so you know, the next question, obviously, and all of our, our listeners are already asking, what changed, right? <laughs> what, what, what changed in your life, whether it was 25 years a successful agent or now at age <laughs> 25, which seems much more likely? What, what, what shifted? It got to the point where I think I just couldn't take it anymore. <clears throat> I also had met my first coach because I'd been seeing therapists since I was 10 or 11, and I met my first kind of coach and spiritual teacher who changed my life at around 23. And in my Hollywood days, I was I was also dating a big big time Hollywood producer who was an addict, and so I, I was also taking anxiety medication in addition to antidepressants. Was still on them, mm-hmm. and um, there was one day riding up in the elevator to my office that I um, was in the elevator with one of the big wig female big wigs at my company, and she was there with her assistant. And because, you know, assistants always come down and carry your, you know, bags and parking yes. car. It's just ridiculous. And she said to her assistant, she was looking at her phone, and she said, oh, my daughter just said her first word. And the assistant was like, oh, wow, what was it? She said, oh, it was Ola because she spent so much time oh, with gosh. the nanny. And I, and it was, she was so, like, apathetic when she said it. And... Looking back now, I have so much compassion for that woman because she probably had to shut down her heart so much yes. to kind of have that response. But I was like, I just saw a snapshot of my future. And I was like, this is not, mm. where am I going? Like, yes. literally, where am I going? And I got off the elevator, John, and I went to my desk, my office. I had an assistant sitting outside. And outside my office, the, the man who ran the company was super into art. And some of his taste was, we'll just say, eclectic. And I was looking at this painting, and it was this woman in kind of this negligee who was like nine months pregnant, standing outside her house with like just stuff all over. It looked like a yard sale gone awry. Sounds like and my I'm, house. But, but, <laughs> but keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm very inter- interested in this artwork. And, and there was a UFO up above with a spotlight beaming down on her, like taking her up. Wow. And I kind of looked at this painting, and I was like, where am I and what am I doing? <laughs> and I, I, I kind of had like a mini panic attack. And I went back down the elevator and I'm walking around Beverly Hills on Rodeo Drive, just feeling like in the surreal world, questioning if I'm having a panic attack and just like, I hate what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like sales. I hate what I'm doing. Something clicked in me where I just heard the voice of my heart and my intuition and it was like, you got to leave. But I was paralyzed. I was so terrified. So I went back upstairs, called my dad. Because I think in times when we need permission to do something, we call someone who we mm-hmm. know will give us a yes. yes. <laughs> and I called my dad, who's amazing. And I said, Dad, like, I, I think I need to leave this job. And I was so, you know, even ashamed because I, I went to college for this. And this is, you know, what I planned on. And I didn't have a plan B. And he said something to me, and this is such a lesson for all the parents out there. He said, I love you, and I can't make this decision for you. Mm. This is your choice. And he didn't give me any advice, and he just said he loved me because he knew that this was a pivotal moment for me to really kind of become an adult and to take a risk and to make my own decision. And that night I went home, and I cried, and I was like, I have to just, I have to quit. And I ended up resigning, John, and that sent me on a six-month trajectory where then I lost even more. So in six months, I then um, went into lots of debt because I was trying to keep up with my Hollywood lifestyle, Mm -hmm. and I just couldn't. So went into tons of debt, was working as a personal trainer, didn't like that, 
was more, even more depressed, then got diagnosed with an undiagnosable autoimmune disorder. My body just shut down. Doctors could not figure out what was wrong with me. They were telling me all kinds of scary things. And then I got disowned from my family. My mom was very upset that I moved in with a boyfriend I was not married to. Mm-hmm. And then I got engaged to that boyfriend, and six months before the wedding, he broke up with me unexpectedly. So at 26, I have no career, no money, my health is shot, I'm not connected to my family, and I just lost what I thought was my soulmate. Yes. And and that was my kind of first, there's been more, but that was my first really big dark night of the soul. And um, I had a very, very dark moment that led to, for lack of a better word, a spiritual awakening where I felt that connection and that sense of love that I so was looking for out there. Like I felt a moment, I was in such a deep, dark place, even thinking, I don't want to be here anymore, I don't want to live anymore, and I know my story, Mm -hmm. and people out there have had far worse experiences, but I think it's important for all of us to own our own journey and have compassion for our own journey, and I, this deep, dark, I don't want to be here anymore, you know, pretty much suicidal thought moment turned into this flood of, of love that just came in that honestly saved me, and it was a, it was very short lived because my mind came in and was like, "What was that? Yeah. <laughs> what, Shut what's that going down. on? <laughs> what's going on? We're out of control. What's happening?" But it was enough of a glimpse, um, and I made a, a commitment that if I ever figured my way out of this kind of deep dark place I felt I was in, where I felt so lost, that I would dedicate my life to helping other people do the same. And shortly thereafter, I, don't know, I can't remember if it was the next day or the next day after that, I woke up with the idea for my first book. And I just started to write and share my experience. And as I was writing the book and trying to teach others how to get out of it, I was healing myself. Mm. What, just to remind us, what's the title of the first book? The first book was called 20-something, 20-everything. What's it about? It was about basically the quarter-life crisis and what... You know, it was written just for 20-something women, and I just felt like it was a very unique time to be a young woman, and I felt all this pressure, and it's really about answering the questions, who am I, what do I want, and how do I get it, and shifting from thinking that, because I think a lot of young women, women in their 20s and 30s, are programmed to believe that the guy, the marriage, the having the kids, the having the career, the having the perfect body, the making a certain amount of money, this whole kind of having it all concept is going to make them happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How's that working for you? <laughs> you know, it's like it works for a bit, and then you're like, wait, I want something more. Yes, of course. And so um, I really am passionate about connecting all people to their purpose and and their higher power and their sense of love for themselves. And I felt, um, as a young woman, I felt very – my relationship with myself was incredibly toxic. And I think that's why so many women have eating disorders, um, the number of women and people in general, especially in their 20s, who are being prescribed antidepressants continues to go up. This is just a very, there's a high, high kind of pressure on that phase of life to figure it all out. And my main realization was, wait a second, this is the time to figure me out first (laughs) before I try to figure out all that external stuff. Take us forward from there, Christine. Yeah. The book comes out, you begin, I'm assuming, to do a little bit of coaching, a little bit of speaking. Mm-hmm. What happened was, and this is kind of how I think when we um, get out of the plan and into the flow and listen to our heart, 
it's like we become we become co-creators of our life, right? And, so and we take a oh, go yeah. For, the, for those who aren't familiar with with some of these terms, the plan. I think we understand that we all have a plan. Yeah. What does the word flow mean to you? So what it means to me, thanks for asking, um, is we either cr- control and resist life, or we move with it. And so an example of being in flow is like taking a step forward and sort of noticing the feedback you're getting. <laughs> like, does it seem to be working? How are you feeling? Are opportunities showing up? Is the direction you're going, do you feel supported in it? Are things kind of in harmony? Mm-hmm. And also, when what I call an expectation hangover comes your direction, when things don't go according to plan, when life throws you an undesirable curveball, you get laid off, someone breaks up with you, someone you love or yourself gets diagnosed with an illness, do you resist it and fight it? And by that, I mean you, you see that you're a victim. You try to change it. You get so angry about it. You, you don't want it to happen. You keep going back in time and wanting it to be different. Um, that's resistance. That's not flow. And, and by flow, I don't mean you go, oh, I just got laid off and mm-hmm. everything's fine and the universe has a plan. Yeah, you can feel your feelings about it. You know, you need to process like being upset about it, but also going, I don't love this but I accept it. Yes. I'm not going to resist it. I'm not going to fight against it. I'm going to accept it so I can continue to open up the kind of like inspiration and ideas and flow to come toward me so that I can move forward. Because the more we resist, the more we fight, the more we're a victim, the more we judge, the harder we make things for ourselves. And life can be hard enough sometimes. <laughs> so it's like when we resist it, it's, it makes it even worse. So, Christine, how, because all of us, I'm looking in the mirror right now, and I'm sure you are as well, all of us struggle with uh, trying to control things and occasionally being a victim to things and not fully accepting where things are in our relationships, our faith, our finances, whatever it may be. How do we make that shift from being a victim to things happening to us to being a victor and to really jumping into the river of life and flowing with it? Yeah, well, I think it's two things. I think it consciously is, is becoming a student of life in two ways. Number one, consuming information that helps you have a deeper understanding of the human experience, like listening to this podcast, because we're all taught in school. Like, I took a year of Texas history. I took two years of calculus. Like, I'm not using those in my daily life. I never really learned how to process my feelings. I never learned that thoughts create reality. I never learned that we can, like, rewire our brain. I never learned that, you know, while we're having emotions, we can either judge them or we can tap into a part of us that's, that's so compassionate and so loving. You know, I never learned that in between what happens and how we respond is this window of opportunity where we have choice so we can be more proactive than reactive. So there's so much information out there that helps us increase our awareness and that gives us tools and skills. I mean, even things that help us with time management, even things that help us become better parents, even things that help us find our career and purpose. So I think that's the first step is to to re-educate yourself, to go out and become a consumer of the kind of information that helps you live an inspired life. Mm. And we have to be proactive of that. It's like, are you listening to Fox News and CNN all day long or are you listening to podcasts? Are you watching reality TV shows or are you, you know, reading books that really like inspire you? And uh, even music, you know, what are you what are you surrounding yourself on a daily basis? Kristen, you you you've been in this this universe long enough uh, yeah. uh to realize the vast majority are tuning off uh 
areas where you can grow and expand and become better versions of yourselves and tuning in, opting into Fox and CNN and these unusual shows that are populating 236 channels on our on our cable television packages that we're paying 195 oh, for there are 236 channels oh minimum that, that's if oh. you have a, a cheap package so I'm, I'm curious why do we fill our minds and our heads our hearts and our souls with crud rather than life-giving content well i think if we surround ourselves with the life-giving content eventually we have to look at the things we've been trying to suppress for years Wow. And I think that's what we're most scared of. We have to look at ourselves and take ownership. And I think that in a lot of ways it's easier. It's easier to blame our parents, society, the new president. Like there's lots of things that are easy to blame. And information that continues to reinforce that helps us do that. And I also think, you know, a lot of people have experienced challenging things. And so numbing out is a lot easier. Mm. You know, if I'm listening to a podcast like this, I might have some insights. <laughs> I might have some aha moments that are like, ooh, man, maybe I need to look at that. Yes. And that can feel really scary. If I'm watching, you know, a reality TV show with a bachelorette, like I'm not going to be confronted <laughs> with something that I need to look at myself. I can just kind of gossip and talk and be entertained. And I think that, you know, and this is for me too, and I think that's why there's so many addictions and, you know, food, TV, shopping, um, even online dating becomes an addiction, like whatever it is, yes. that are basically like numbing devices and, and coping devices. And and I can totally relate. You know, I was on antidepressants from 10 till 30. And, a, you know, a huge part of making the choice to get off of them was like I have to be willing to feel yes. some of the things like I have not wanted to feel. Mm. And it was, um, I mean, I had help, I had support, I had tools, and, and it took me, you know, about two years to really get off of them. But that was, you know, a conscious choice that I made. And um, I think that, you know, for people listening, it's like, one thing is we don't have to do it all at once, you That's know? Right. It's like we can just take little steps and little steps, and it really is a journey. And what's amazing about the time we live in is that there are so many people who are really waking up, who are consuming this kind of information. I mean, just look at your reach, John. I mean, it's amazing the number of people who, you know, are so inspired by you and your story, and and it kind of makes them go, okay, well, how can I not be a victim of my own life, and how can I really transform any kind of pain, any kind of thing that, like, wasn't ideal into this huge lesson that then becomes my inspiration? You mentioned, Christine, there are two ways to make the shift. Uh, the first is to consume differently. Food, spirituality, uh, content online, all, all the things that we consume, to turn off Fox and turn off CNN and tune into something different. What's the, what's the other way that we can kind of make that shift from being a victim to being a victor over our lives? Well, I think that, and this is, you know, was my intention in writing Expectation Hangover, it's really sort of leveraging any disappointment and processing things and, and getting tools, and I'll explain all this, on the emotional, mental, behavioral, and spiritual level. So we have to know we're multidimensional beings. We, we have emotions, we have a brain and thoughts, we take action, and we're not just these, you know, humans that aren't connected to anything bigger. And, you know, for people that don't necessarily relate to religion or spirituality, call it nature. You know, there, there is something greater than us out there. And, and learning how to understand ourselves on all those levels, to me, is the next part. So really learning how to 
feel our emotions, release our emotions, emotions rather than recycle them hmm. or suppress them. So we recycle them through judgment, meaning I'm having to cry about something, but the whole time I'm crying, I'm judging myself, I'm judging the situation, I'm analyzing it, I want it to stop. I'm, I'm Instead of having to cry and having a part of me being like, it's okay, let it out, <laughs> right. it's okay, you know, and just letting yourself move emotion, because emotion is energy in motion, emotion. And so many people just don't give themselves permission to really release their feelings, and so they end up numbing them with depression, um, irritable, it can transform into a physical illness, all those kinds of things. So learning tools around that level. And then, and it's creating habits and discipline around this. Like for me, I know that if I'm not creatively, if, if I'm having a hard time um, writing or my creative feels blocked, or if I'm super irritable, like I'm snapping at a waiter for absolutely no reason or with someone I work with, or if I'm like not sleeping, there's something, there's like kind of like an emotion I may need to process around it. And so I'll use one of my tools like release writing, which is just stream of consciousness writing fast. It's not like journaling. It's just like getting the emotion out. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'll sit down with myself and kind of have a little mini session and let myself feel whatever I really need to feel and have incredible compassion for myself. And I think that, you know, learning these tools and is for me has been pivotal. And then on the the mental level, it really is about um, looking at limiting beliefs because we you know create our life based on what we believe. And I just challenge everyone out there to consider what your self talk is like and consider what you believe about yourself, about the world, about other people. You know, if you have a belief that um, you can't trust people or that you have to work really, really, really hard to make money or you can't do what you love and support your family um, or that anyone that you fall in love with is going to hurt you. Like those are some, you know, those are just a few of the common ones. Like really looking at those and consciously reframing them and and choosing new thoughts. And and really all this, John, and it comes down to discipline and it comes down to new habits and it comes down to using the – education and awareness, which was kind of step one, and then transforming it into integration. It's like, okay, I'm listening to these podcasts, I'm reading these books, but how do I take action and apply it to my life? Because just having the information is just kind of like psychological entertainment. Mm-hmm. We need to like feel our feelings, change our thoughts, shift our actions, deepen our connection to some kind of inner guidance, inner compass, higher power, And I think that a lot of people, and I was like this too, think that if they just have an aha moment, things will change. Aha moments are great. They're amazing. But they're the catalyst for then taking the action and making the change. So share with us some of the the practices that you put into place each day to remain in flow, to not fight the things that happen, the delays out of LAX and you know the wet weather and everything else we have going on, Christine. What what are some practices that you've implemented in your life that you think the rest of us might benefit from implementing in ours? Well, I think my morning and evening practices are huge. Um, I when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is some breath work. So I do something called breath of fire, and I basically it's just taking a very short, fast breath through my nose and breathing into my lower belly. And I do that just to kind of like wake myself up and like remind myself I'm alive. Yes. <laughs> and it also, I have a very active, 
active mind. Um, <laughs> it's very loud. It's very strong. And it's just like all the time. And so kind of doing that kind of fast breathing like that, I do it for three minutes, helps me kind of like calm my mind down. Mm-hmm. Because when I would wake up in the morning, it's like, okay, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. And it took me years to fight that temptation to just get out of bed and start doing. Get out of bed and check my phone. Get out of bed and go work out. You know, that's like the, the, what, I want, what I wanted to do. Um, and so I really had to create, use discipline. And the word discipline comes from the word disciple, which means loving follower. Hmm. So discipline is not like, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm like, you know, I'm being ordered around. Discipline is a loving following of what you want to create. And if we do something for about 40 days, research shows that it eventually becomes a habit. So when I started my meditation practice, I was like, I'm committed to 40 days. And it took me a year (laughs) to get 40 days down because if I skipped a day, I'd have to start start over. over. Exactly right. And, um, but eventually it became a habit. And so I I do my breath of fire and then I meditate for anywhere from 7 to 15 minutes. Just listening to my breath. Sometimes I use a mantra. Then I do a little journaling, and my journaling um, is just kind of like clearing out any thoughts or any anxiety, and then I do my to-do list, and how I do my to-do list is I write um, the date, and I divide it into two columns, me, and I use the word God, that, that's the word that connects for me, and I write down the things that I need to do, everything that I didn't get done the day before that comes over on the next page or needs to happen that day, and then on the other side, I write down what I'd like God to help me with, and I've done this for years, and I love it because it reminds me that I'm not alone. It reminds me that I don't have to do everything on my own. And it's just like a kind of a way that I do written prayer in terms of what I'd like help with, people I want to send love to. And it's kind of fun to give God a to-do list. Yeah. Um, so I do that, and then, I, and then I start my day. And the other thing that I will say is key to my mental well-being, my success, everything, my vitality, is I exercise. Every day, almost. I mean, I skip maybe one day a week, and I either do yoga or I go do something physical at the gym, and that, to me, changes my brain chemistry, um, gets me focused, helps me get out at kind of any anxiety, and really sets my day off right. So, Christine, right now, half of my friends are about to hit pause or delete on this because they're thinking to themselves, does this woman have any idea how busy I am? <laughs> When am I going to find time to do breaths of fire, baby? The kids are all over me in the morning, or the alarm clock is buzzing, or i got to race out the door to the subway. they got a million things going on. So for those of us who are leaning away from the podcast right now saying, hey, it works for her, good, I'm glad, it ain't going to work for me, what would you you respond with? I love that. Thanks for calling me out on that. I know a lot of busy people. Yeah, of course. And by the way, you are one. So Yes, I am. Of course. I am, and... Uh, um, I had, you know, my three young nephews here, and I still kept my practices. So here's what you do. You do it, you just do shorter amounts of time. Or you schedule it at other times in your day, or maybe you just do a little less. Because, and, and also, I work with a lot of parents, and they teach their kids to meditate with them when they get old enough. Now, if you have, if you just had a baby, or your kid is super little, I understand that you're going through a season of life where getting up and meditating may not be possible. But that doesn't mean at some point in your day you can't set your phone timer for one minute and just sit and listen to your breath mm-hmm. and calm your nervous system down. You know, it really is about, like, how many excuses do we want to make? And you just have to kind of renegotiate things depending on the season you are in your life. But if we let our circumstances be an excuse for not taking action towards self-care – then we continue to let our life lead us versus us leading our life. 
So if you're super busy, you can adjust the time. You can find 20 minutes to do a workout video at home. It's, it's just like I know a lot of busy people with kids and careers and all yes. these kinds of things, and it comes down to intention. And it's, it's like whatever you want to create in your life is possible. It's just a, created in a way that's workable in your life versus letting your life be an excuse for why you can't do some of these things. How, how do you, at the end of a long day, you've exercised, you've had the breath of fire, baby, yeah. you've meditated, you've prayed, <laughs> you've made your to-do list for you and for God. Yeah. You've done your work and your podcast and your writing and you've had lunch and dinner and everything else, Christine. How do, how do you wrap up that day in a way that's compelling as a way to put a bow on today but also get you ready for tomorrow? Super easy. Well, two key things. I turn off devices <laughs> at least an hour before I go to bed um, and disconnect from email and TV and cell phone and all those kinds of things. Um, but the thing, the simple thing that I do before I go to bed is just write down things I'm ha- that happened that day I'm grateful for. It can take 30 seconds if I want to spend longer on it. It can take a lot of time. Just simple things. So I just go to bed with gratitude. And anybody can do that. Were you always a journaler? I was always a writer, um, but not always a journaler. With it the took me. clients you work with, Christine, who aren't writers or have never tried journaling, and you've suggested they try, uh, what, what's something we can grab onto to begin that journey forward? Well, first, no, just for, the, for your mind, that research shows that journaling is one of the most effective ways to process emotion, tap into creativity, and um, reduce anxiety. So there's tons of research out there for those people who might need the scientific evidence as to why they right. do it. Um, but the second thing would be, just be to write, like, to start with the words, like, what I'm, you know, I'm feeling and just kind of write down what you're feeling or the sentence starter is what I'm thinking about, what's on my mind, what I'm worried about. Um, those are just good sentence starters to start the journaling process. Um, but the, the I'm feeling, I'm thinking, what's on my mind, I'm worried about, what I'd like, those kinds of things will help start to trigger that flow of stream of consciousness that will help you kind of tap into the type of journaling that will create kind of movement and shifts. Christine, when you work with one lady, one gentleman, one millennial, one retiree, Mm -hmm. or a whole group of these folks, and they leave your session, they leave your call, they leave the couch, whatever it may be, what's what's something that you hope they do better after they leave your space than before they came into it? That they become observers of their life and themselves. That they really observe how they're talking to themselves. That's the key thing. Like, how are they with themselves? My, my number one priority in working with any person is helping them create a better relationship with themselves, between their self-talk, how they take care of themselves, their action, their choices, and increase that awareness of the fact that they do have choice, that they're not a victim of their life. And I want them to feel inspired. Mm. That's, that's my key thing is that they feel inspired because I know that it's inspiration that pulls us forward. It's inspiration that, you know, gives us the kind of chutzpah and the courage to move through difficult times or to take a risk or to, you know, adjust our busy schedule and make that, like, carve out that two-minute window to sit and listen to our breath, to calm down our nervous system. You know, it's that kind of inspiration that is our fuel for creating a different kind of life. 
what you've created. You mentioned at age 26 that you were depressed, that you were essentially homeless. You just lost your fiance and you lost relationship with your family. Uh, it certainly seems today, Christine, that you have regained all that you'd lost. And because of what you lost so much more, what, 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 what in, in closing, what, what would be your bit of advice for those of us going through our own struggles right now, whether that's depression, the fiance just said, I'm done. Your mother said, I'm not having the relationship with you, daughter. Mm-hmm. Whatever else we may be going through professionally, personally, relationally, or in our health. Mm. Number one, it's not going to last forever. <laughs> you will 100% get through it. It's happening for you, not to you. And this could be the biggest catalyst in your life that opens up more joy, more freedom, more fulfillment, more love, more prosperity than you ever thought possible. So any expectation hangover is a major doorway to transformation. It's a major opportunity to heal. I'll tell you something that someone said to me after my fiancé Um, broke up with me. Six months later, I met a man who I married, (laughs) who I later divorced. And when I was going through my divorce, someone said to me, milk this for all it's worth. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm not not even doing alimony. Like, what what are you talking about? (laughs) He's like, I don't mean financial. He's like, milk this for all it's worth. Really leverage all the amazing lessons and healing opportunities that are coming forward through this major transition in your life. Don't miss it. And I can honestly say I did that, and um, my the divorce really took me to the next level of my life and career. And so, milk it for all it's worth, people. Christine, for the people who you're speaking to right there and those who want to learn more about your journey, your life, your work, what what's the best website for them to follow you and uh, to tap into your knowledge and experiences? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, Christine Hassler, C-H-R-I-S-C-I-N-E-H-A-S-S-L-E-R, is my website. And there you can you know, find my books and my podcast. is called Over It and On With It. I coach people live on the air, so you can search for that as well. And, of course, we'll have links to all of your information on our show notes on JohnAllerieInspires.com. Christine, we, we always guide our guests through the Live Inspired 7. It's seven questions that – it's kind of like the thread that we've been using through two and a half seasons – to connect one another to stories, to books, to life that, uh, that unite us more than separate us. So here we go. The seven questions of Live Inspired. Number one, what's the best book you've ever read? Ooh, oh, that's so hard. The one that really was a wake-up call for me was, um, is Man's Search for Meaning wow. by Viktor Frankl. Me as well. I bumped into it in college. It did not mean much. And then at about the age of 27, when I was ready to do some real work, it showed up again, and it is awesome. What From that book by Viktor Frankl, what was one of your main takeaways? Something I shared a little bit earlier, that in between stimulus and response, we have a choice, and in that choice is our freedom. Whew. You know, guys, ladies, gentlemen, friends following, I'm always looking for one takeaway in these shows. And, and for me, that may have been it right there. Christine, say it one more time, that quote. In between stimulus and response. We have a choice, and in that choice lies our freedom. Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at age 103, (laughs) leaving you with millions. What would you do, Christine, with this newfound wealth? Oh, my gosh. Well, the first thing I would do would be to gather some of the smartest people I know in, like, various aspects of expertise and put them in, like, a think tank for, like, a week and 
each day kind of tackle some of the problems, education, poverty, the environment, and see what kind of ideas we could come up with in terms of innovation, kind of like Elon Musk in, mm-hmm. in, in, in every area. Um, and then I, I'm so passionate about education. Mm-hmm. I believe that giving people not only education in terms of, you know, math, science, those kinds of things, but education on this human experience that, you know, we can we can really create our reality. And taking the kind of personal transformation tools that in so many ways, John, are a luxury item, mm-hmm. you know, access to this kind of information. Stunning, yes. To, yeah, to places in the world where they don't have access to this information. That's, you know, my, my big mission. And if I had that kind of, those kind of resources, I would be doing it even faster and in a bigger way. Well, stay in touch with those wealthy uncles. Yeah, exactly. I gotta... And keep my cell phone handy. So uh, <laughs> if question number three is, if your house caught fire and all living things, all living people are all out, and you had a chance to run in and grab one thing that really mattered to you, what would you grab? The panda bear that my dad gave me the day I was born. T- tell me about the panda bear. So... Um, when I was born, my dad went to the gift shop because he wanted, like, something to give me yes. <laughs> as a baby. And um, he bought that, and it's the first picture was taken with me with this panda bear. And I've had it ever since. It's the only, like, stuffed animal I've ever kept, and it's the sweetest-looking thing. And it just so reminds me of him, of unconditional love, and of that innocence mm. that um, is still part of me and part of all of us. Love it. And Christine, if you had an opportunity to sit on a bench on a gorgeous day overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone, anyone at all, living or dead, who would you want to hang out with that day? Well, I'm sure people have said this before, but my my choice would be Jesus. What would be your first question of Jesus? (laughs) Uh, What's the truth? What have we said? (laughs) What's the truth? Uh, what is the truth? Uh, what a great, what a great person being, and what a great question. The, the next question for you is: What's the best advice you've ever received? Mm, honestly, what I shared earlier: the milk it for all it's worth. Don't be a victim. Don't try to just rush through it. Don't just try to get to the other side. Be in it. Be in the mess, mm. and explore it. Dig deep. What would you, at the, the wise age that you've currently made, tell the 20-year-old version of yourself? Stop being so hard on yourself. Man, we hear that a lot, Christine. Yeah. yeah. Why, why do you think, and we only have one question after this, but why do you think we're so hard on ourselves, whether it's 20, 10, or 66? Because we think we need to be to get what we want. We think that we need to be to be effective, to motivate ourselves, to keep up with the Joneses. To, and if we're harder on ourselves then we protect ourselves from anyone else being harder on us. So it's like if we beat ourselves up first, then if we get beat up out there, it won't hurt as bad. That's what we think anyway. All right, my friend, final question. You made it all the way through. It's been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you want Christine Hassler, your one sentence, to read? I am so grateful. Simple. I am so grateful. Christine Hassler, it has been such a pleasure having a little bit of time on the Live Inspired podcast with someone that I look up to, someone that I gather great information and spirit from. You are a joy, and thank you for sharing that joy with us. Thank you so much for having me, for asking such great questions. Thank you to your community for listening. And I just, I'm so inspired by you, John, and you are somebody that really walks the talk. 
and and shows people that <laughs> anything is possible. So thank you for doing what you do. Well, I figure if two people like you and I can do what we've done in our lives, gosh, what can other people do in their lives? So I, I think exactly. we are uh, examples, ordinary examples of what extraordinary things we all can be part of, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of those that we get to touch through it. So Christine Hassler, thank you for this time. My friends, that was Christine Hassler. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Don't forget it. Live inspired. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Christine Hassler as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Please take a few moments now to either rate the show, share your comments, send me a tweet, an email, a Facebook post. Let me know that you're enjoying this. Let me know what some of the main takeaways were and are. I love continuing the conversation online. So let us know what you're receiving from the podcast. It's one of the ways we know it's working. And one of the ways that we know the show is impacting lives. We think that the marketplace is ripe, unfortunately, with negativity and darkness and despair and lack of clarity. We try to bring amazing guests to share their life story, their journey, so that we can wake up to the great limitless possibility 